welcome to the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. I'm Jonathan Carl, Chief White House Correspondent for ABC News. And I'm Shoshana Walsh. I'm Deputy Political Director in Today for Rick Klein. God, what a breath of fresh air. Shush. <laughs> Thank Thanks you for, for having joining. me. Yeah, this is great to have you here. And we've got uh, a lot to talk about uh, here on the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. We're going to have two very unique guests uh, later on in, in the program. We're going to be talking to Roger Stone, of course, one of the very first political advisors for Donald Trump. And a guy, I mean, help me out with this. I, I seem to recall him just a few days ago suggesting that Scott Walker and Reince Priebus had rigged at least five elections in the state of Wisconsin Help me out. We're, these are these are Republicans, right? Right, exactly. They're supposed to be on the same team, and we're going to ask him all about that. He's also still very close with the man himself, with Donald Trump. So we'll get into that new campaign shakeup, too. And then we're also going to talk to Kurt Bardella, who a lot of folks know is the, uh, the, the former spokesperson for Daryl Issa and the Oversight Committee in the House, but who also worked for the man in the news this week. Uh, he was uh, worked for uh, for Breitbart dot com uh, for for Steve Bannon, right? And then severed relationships with him, uh, walked away from Breitbart. You don't usually see PR people talking about uh, their former clients, but that's different. He is he, talking about what happened there. Not only is he talking about it, he is saying he is portraying Bannon as a dictator, as a racist, and he is saying that he is voting for. Wait for it. Hillary Clinton. This is Kurt Bardello, a guy that's been a major figure on the right of the conservative movement. We're going to be talking to him as well. But, man, this has been this has been quite a week. I mean, we, we, we think this is going to be the slow, sleepy August, but we wake up and we find ourselves uh, seeing major changes in the Donald Trump campaign and also some significant new issues uh, and, and some old issues raised about Hillary Clinton. Right. Usually in August, people take some vacations, but not in this election. So one, one thing, I, and, there, and there's so much to talk about with the Trump shakeup, but I, I do want to focus about focus on, on some issues that seem to get uh, a little bit um, overshadowed this week, shall we say, uh, on, on the Clinton side. Um, one, we, we had the uh, the House Oversight Committee and, 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 and other committees uh, looking into the question of Hillary Clinton's emails and the decision of the FBI not to indict uh, finally got some pretty a pretty extraordinary step. Got the FBI to turn over their notes from the interview that they conducted, the three-hour interview uh, with Hillary Clinton and other materials related to their decision not to indict Hillary Clinton. So most of this information, John, is classified. We aren't really seeing any leaks of what's inside those notes yet. We did see the letter, not much information in there. We do know that what Congress is going over right now in those secret rooms in the Capitol, that a lot of it is redacted. Um, What strikes me about not just what's going on this update, but looking at it more broadly, controversies in this campaign come and go. I mean, within minutes, there's so many stories each day. But this has really been an Achilles heel for Hillary Clinton, and it's been weighing over the campaign since it before it even started. We were together at that first press conference at the U.N. How long ago was that? It was over a year and a half ago. So, yeah, that you're reminding me of that we that was quite an experience. So you and I were there. They wouldn't even tell us exactly where it was going, although we knew that she was speaking at the U.N. So you and I had to get up. The, I scrambled from um, 
From DC. From DC, uh, we met. You were you were about uh, nine and a half months pregnant, as I recall. I was. That's why it's very easy to remember <laughs> for me when it happened. And we were and we were scrambling. We had to get our credentials in case the press conference was going to be at the UN. And then we kind of guessed where it was going to be. And fortunately, as a result of being right, we were front and center at that press conference, which happened oddly at the uh, at the uh, stakeout for the. Uh, UN Security Council. The weirdest press conference I think I've ever attended, and that includes any number of Trump press conferences. But anyway, uh, now here we are. The FBI, in justifying their decision not to indict Hillary Clinton, uh, turned over these materials. The letter you mentioned was the letter that the FBI included, the kind of cover letter that's been released, by the way, by Democrats on the committee. And what's interesting is it, is it, is it reiterates why they didn't indict, but it doesn't – it's not all roses for Hillary Clinton. I mean it again says she, act, she acted extremely carelessly and that in not indicting, they weren't making a judgment about whether or not what she did was was right. I mean it, it raised – the letter explicitly says that this is not to say that if she were still in government that she might not have been uh, reprimanded. Absolutely. And of course this is something that Republicans have been jumping on this entire time. But now it, it – the Trump campaign really, I mean, they haven't been using this yet. Now that they're going to go on the air, I think it's more likely that we'll see this possibly in advertising. Yeah, so here's something, speaking of advertising, here's something that caught my eye this week, Shush. I don't know if you saw this, but yep. the, uh, the, uh, the the committee, the oversight committee, this is the one uh, that is uh, chaired by, uh, by Jason Chaffetz of Utah. They released a video and the video looks a little bit like a political advertisement, frankly. Um, it it's does. Got, it's got music in the background. It's a little hokey. But but the substance of it seems to me to raise some very serious questions uh, in a very effective way about what Hillary Clinton told Congress. So I'm going to play a little bit of this. Let me explain what it is first, though. It's, it, it, it splices together statements that Hillary Clinton made before Congress, when asked about her uh, her, her emails and, and that whole issue, and with and statements made by James Comey when he was announcing his decision not to indict, take a listen. There were two servers. No, there was a server. Um, Just that one. Was... And so there's only one server. Is that what you're telling me? And it's the one server that the FBI has. The FBI has the server that was used during the tenure of my uh, State Department service. Secretary Clinton used several different servers and administrators of those servers during her four years at the State Department. And she also used numerous mobile devices to send and to read email on that personal domain. Yeah, I mean, it does, John, very much sound and look like a TV advertisement. And I think that one of the reasons you're seeing it is because uh, the Trump campaign has not really jumped on this yet. Traditionally, you would see Hillary Clinton's opponent kind of using um, this controversy, this scandal, and going after it every single day. He hasn't been. But this, but this video, uh, and, and, and that was just a, a little segment of it. It goes on for for several minutes. It just raises questions. Now, Republicans in Congress are raising this question. They're, they've asked the uh, the Justice Department to investigate whether or not Hillary Clinton committed perjury in her testimony to Congress in light of the facts that came out later. You know, look, there's not going to be any prosecution for perjury. 
I'm not a lawyer. I, I don't know that any of this rises to perjury. But I can tell you this. It, it may not be perjury, but she said several things to to Congress that in, you know, the, looking back from now, simply were not the truth. Right. And that's really all they need. They know that there's not going to be a perjury case, but they need to. The Republicans are going to try to keep this story alive and point out that she was not telling the truth. They're going to try to keep it in the storylines, in the headlines every single day uh, over the next 80 something days. And if she's in the White House, then it will continue. And yeah, can you imagine? We're there, here we go again uh, with uh, with congressional hearings. We'll, we'll see who's controlling Congress if she's in the White House, <laughs> I guess. Um, so, uh, you, you raise the big question, though, in terms of the political implications here: Is can Trump take advantage of any of this stuff? Can they exploit this? And and the answer so far has been a pretty emphatic no. But. Republicans, of course, want him to focus on Hillary Clinton, want him to focus on her weaknesses. Of course, this being probably the biggest because it so plays into those bad trustworthiness numbers that she has. Uh, But you're right. Up to now, we haven't really seen him take advantage of it with the new people on top of his campaign. Will they make him focus on on that? Well, we know that it's going to really be back to or continue to be, I should say, let Trump be Trump. So will he take advantage of these weaknesses? We're going to have to watch and see, John. Okay, so we, you mentioned the big changes. The first one is we have a new campaign manager, Kellyanne Conway. I actually uh, have a little bit of a history with Kellyanne Conway, uh, who used to be her maiden name, Kellyanne Fitzpatrick. When I started working at CNN back in 1996, January of 1996, I'm dating myself a bit, uh, <laughs> Kellyanne was hired at precisely the same time, and we were part of a three-person team. The, the, the third person was someone named Fry Judea, uh, t- terrific person. Uh, Fry was the, was the liberal commentator. Kellyanne was the, uh, was the conservative commentator. I was the reporter. Together we were marketed by CNN as the Generation X team. All in our 20s, we were the, you know, the, the Generation X team to cover the presidential campaign. So I've, I've known Kellyanne for, for a long time. She's very talented. She's, uh, um, she's a master of pollster. She actually way back, in, in, even before she worked at CNN, worked for, for Frank Luntz when she was you know, not far out of college. Um, she, she knows her stuff. The other person that's been brought on is Steve Bannon, who I guess you have some background with, uh, the, the, of course, the, uh, the chairman of, uh, of Breitbart. Right, exactly. That's funny because you have this background with Kellyanne. So, yes, uh, I've known Steve Bannon for quite a while, not as long as you've known Kellyanne. But, uh, yeah, right after his movie, The Undefeated, came out about Sarah Palin, I met uh, Steve Bannon. And he actually, our book, uh, Sarah from Alaska, that I wrote with my co-author Scott Conroy, his movie uses a, a lot of the more positive parts of Sarah Palin from our book and he we for, started talking to him when his movie came out and uh, he became you know a, a good uh, person to talk to when he kind of joined forces with Sarah Palin after the movie came out with came out of course we uh, continued reporting on Sarah Palin I, I continued to to cover her and now 
Steve Bannon and Palin had kind of joined forces and he became kind of a Karl Rove type to, to Palin and was very helpful um, in our reporting and talking to us in the years afterwards. So, um, but I have to say the reporting now on Steve Bannon that he's a, a dictator or racist, I have to say I never uh, saw that side of him. Uh, so he either has changed a lot in the last few years or he was only showing his good side to me. <laughs> or, 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 the, or the allegations aren't correct. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But the one thing we can say about him and Breitbart is uh, these, these, guys are, these guys are fighters. These guys are masters of the dark arts of, of, of politics. That's and, very true. And even though I, uh, I may say that I, that I didn't see that side of him then, it's absolutely on display now on Breitbart. And, and that shouldn't be mistaken. Yeah, so to describe uh, for 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 people that uh, aren't all that familiar with uh, with Breitbart. I mean, this is um, they they have certainly carved out a niche on the far right of 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 American politics. So Breitbart is a very conservative website. It, the site has changed some since Andrew Breitbart was on the on the head of it before his untimely death in 2012. And now they really do feed into a lot of these conspiracy theories in the dark corners of the web. Um, it's not just what it was then, which is kind of bucking the establishment. Of course, John, they do that too. So what does this mean about the direction of the Trump campaign? Well, I, I think it means that it's clear that Donald Trump wants to be the Donald Trump he has been throughout this campaign. Uh, he Let Trump be Trump. That was Corey Lewandowski's uh, motto of the campaign. And, and that's what, how Donald Trump is familiar. He doesn't want to pivot. He doesn't want to change. He doesn't want to go to this let Donald, Donald Trump should be more presidential type Donald Trump um, and bringing in. Uh, Steve Bannon and promoting Kelly and Conway, I think we're just going to see more of what we've seen uh, since the beginning of this campaign. So we, we've seen announcements over the last couple of days that the Trump campaign is going to be opening up uh, a slew of offices and hiring a bunch of staff in key swing states. I think they're talking about opening some, you know, 20 offices in uh, in Florida, a whole big, you know, operation in Ohio. But, you know, kind of beneath those those announcements is the fact there's nothing there now there's no field operation there's no campaign it's really unbelievable as you said john 14 campaign offices for hillary clinton in florida but only one for donald trump and i'm being joined right now in the studio by roger stone thanks roger for wow roger stone walked in okay he's right here uh Thanks so much. So I think we'll just dive into it, Roger, if that if that works for you. Um, and of course, Roger, formerly with the Trump campaign, but still uh, a close friend of Donald Trump's. F.O.T., friend of Trump. Fought. Uh, OK. Uh, <laughs> I am. Uh, I have known Donald for 40 years. I met him in 1979 when I came to New York to organize Governor Ronald Reagan's campaign for president. Uh, I've known I know his parents very well, his brothers and sisters. I have great affection for the Trump family, and I have done everything possible um, to help him uh, make America great again. Did so, you go to all three of his weddings? Uh, I did not go to the first one. I didn't know him then, but I went two. to the last two. Two out and, of three. That's and pretty he good. Went, and he went to one out of two of mine, so not okay. so bad. All right. All right. So let's just start, Roger. 
the, obviously there's been additions this week to the Trump campaign. Kellyanne Conway promoted to campaign manager. Uh, Steve Bannon of Breitbart is now the campaign CEO. What do you think the additions will do to the campaign? Well, hopefully they'll bring greater focus uh, in organization. Look, the, the Clintons, as you know, have a well-loyal political machine. They have literally hundreds of employees. The Trump operation has always been relatively skeletal and guerrilla-oriented. This is not a shakeup. It's an expansion. These are people joining the team. Uh, Some in the media, the Washington Post particularly, have tried to depict this as a demotion for Paul Manafort. Uh, It's not a demotion in any way. It uh, It is an expansion. I have a very high regard for Steve Bannon for two reasons. One, uh, he understands the new media, and that has been lacking, I think. Other than the notable success of Donald Trump's own Twitter feed, which is pretty amazing, uh, as he likes to say, it's like owning a newspaper without the debt. You can reach millions of people, and it costs almost nothing. But beyond that, frankly, the Clintons, uh, the Clintonites have done a much better job in the new media uh, uh, on the on the net and so on. So I think Bannon brings that knowledge because digital is where it's at. In all honesty, fewer and fewer people watching broadcast. Hey, fewer and fewer people watching cable. Uh, it's okay. You're moving into digital. You yeah, get all right. it. All right, we're um, here. We're digital we're right here. now. Right. Particularly, exactly. particularly, particularly younger voters who aren't watching any broadcast TV. So, in the one hand, people say to me, "Well, aren't the Trump people making a mistake?" by not spending a lot of money on broadcast television advertising? And the answer is not necessarily. Okay, but, but i got to ask you, uh, speaking of cable TV, uh, I don't know if you saw Michael Cohen, of course, uh, 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 Trump Organization's uh, executive vice president, uh, lawyer for Donald Trump, uh, on with Brianna Keeler on CNN. I, I want to just play a, a, a quick snippet of this and then ask you about it. Well, let me ask you about this. So you say, you say it's not a shakeup. But you guys are down, and it makes Says sense who? that there would Says polls, who? most of them, all of them. Says who? Polls. I just told you. I answered your question. Okay. Which polls? All of them. Okay. And your okay. question is? Okay. So my question to you, Rogers, do they really not know in Trump Tower that they're down? that they're down, that they're down nationally, that they're down in virtually all of the battleground states? No, they're not down any place where they're outside of range. Uh, they're not. No, no, I, okay. And, yeah, and, but, because, but, and because they led immediately after the Republican National Convention, it proves that structurally they can win, a very important point uh, among, among pollsters, among those who understand survey research. Now, I would, uh, I would admit that they are probably behind, although... Today, the politics, the real clear politics average has them only down two points. This remains a competitive race. In all honesty, I don't think either candidate is going to ever pull out to an insurmountable lead. There are going to be times in the race when Mrs. Clinton is ahead. There are going to be times in the race when uh, Donald Trump is ahead. I expect because the country is fairly evenly divided and also because both of these candidates carry a very high unfavorable rating, Uh, that this race will continue to be both competitive and close. The fact that Reuters got caught red-handed inflating the number of Democrats in their sample to extend Hillary's lead, I think is what leads to Michael Cohn's skepticism about at least some of the polls. 
Okay, I'm looking at the real clear politics average right now. Unless I'm unless I'm getting this wrong, and I'm welcome to be corrected. But uh, it seems to me that they have the RCP average at 5.8 points. Uh, Clinton lead. I mean, it's you know, I, I take your point. This not, is not again not insurmountable. First of all, if it's 5.8, the margin of error is three and a half. So. It could be eight or it could be three. We don't know. Politics, uh, pardon me, polling, as you know, is outdated the instant that it is taken because people are moving around and things mm-hmm. change, particularly in as volatile an electorate as we have now. I would concede she's slightly ahead. She but- has a friendly media. He has a hostile media. There are more Democrats in the country than Republicans. All of that said, and she spent $60 million on broadcast advertising, and Trump has spent $0, and he's still very viable in a, in a relatively close race. Roger, I wanted just to step back just to talk about the, the new additions. You say it's not a shakeup, but it seems like there is a different people in the campaign want different things, and that it's possible that Paul Manafort and his uh, team wanted – Donald Trump to pivot uh, to be what some people say is, quote, presidential, where other people want to let Trump be Trump. And it seems like those forces have definitely won out. And it's clear that Donald Trump wants to be himself. He says it uh, almost every day. So what do you think the rest of the campaign will look like? And do you think that that's right? Well, there's only one Trump uh, and there's only one person uh, who decides what Trump says and does. And that's Trump. Uh, Having worked for him on and off for almost 40 years, uh, he's unscripted. He is unprogrammed. uh, He is uncoached. uh, He speaks from the heart. He he is not uh, he's not a confection. I think, frankly, when you see Hillary talking, you can tell it's all coming from polling and focus groups and it's been roundtabled. It's why it sounds so stale and phony. Uh, So uh, there has to be a happy medium here. I think it's important that uh, that Donald stay on message on the core issues that got him nominated, immigration, trade, our fiscal situation uh, and so on. Uh, On the other hand, uh, those uh, I don't think there's a giant division here. I think everyone in the campaign realizes that if this election is about Trump, it will be harder to win. This election has to be about the incumbent party. Uh, which Hillary represents, and whether her candidacy would represent four more years of what we have now. All right, so let, let me ask you as a political observer here, not as a friend of Donald, what, what, how do you, sitting here right now, what, what, what do you see his chances of winning, percentage chance that he wins? I think this is a jump ball. I think that uh, it maybe, it, maybe his chances are four in ten. I'd put them as closer to five in ten. So, so I, I want to ask you, though, about this question we hear a lot of we've heard it from you we've heard it from trump this notion that the election will be rigged you wrote an op-ed in the hill yes. a newspaper yes uh that, and wrote something that really caught my eye talking about you, you say both parties engage in rigging voting machines yes and i'm going to read the sentence so you don't nobody thinks i'm putting words in your mouth you wrote nowhere in the country has this been more true than wisconsin where there are strong indications that Scott Walker and Reince Priebus machine-rigged as many as five elections, including the defeat of the Walker recall election. You wrote this just a day, I believe it was, before Donald Trump took the stage with Scott Walker in Wisconsin. Of course, Reince Priebus uh, is somebody who 
uh, is the chairman of the Republican Party and is trying to elect uh, a Donald Trump uh, president. What you you really think these these top Republican figures, these top figures in the party, rigged five elections in Wisconsin? Well, I I link to a study in the piece that says that. Have you read the study? If you take exit polls, which have a greater historical accuracy uh, than pre-election polls and compare them to the actual results, yeah, there's very substantial evidence that elections uh, in Wisconsin have, in fact, been rigged through the machines. We're not talking about voter fraud. This is an entirely different issue. This is is, uh, election theft. I cite a Stanford University study that demonstrates that this was done against Bernie Sanders in several states. Uh, I cite a terrific piece in Politico, Uh, in which a Princeton professor demonstrates how easy it is to hack and rig these machines. I would also point out that I wrote— Can I stop you for a second? You cited a lot of studies, and and I did take a look at this because I I take what you say seriously, and I look at it. I mean, the study in in Wisconsin is looking at the difference between— uh, the the actual polling results and what you saw in the exit polls that could just as easily be seen as a study that that is raising questions about the accuracy of the exit polls. It doesn't mean that there's evidence of, of machine vote rigging. Uh, in all honesty, I mean, you're, you're, I think you're, you're I, taking a leap. And you're uh, in all honesty, the, I think you are naive. A fifteen dollar advice can rig these <laughs> machines, and the stakes here yeah. are very high. But let me also say this happens in the same week in which the spokesman for the Republican National Committee is asked. Are you suspending resources for your presidential candidate? And he says, well, that's a decision we wouldn't make until October. That's treasonous. That's what you get when you make peace with the rhinos. So do you think that the party will turn its back on Donald Trump? I have to say that I was just talking to them yesterday, and they told me that they are not, that the same resources that are going to go into to Donald Trump in, in battleground states and in, and in these competitive Senate races, a lot of them are in the same states. That was their argument to me. But to you, Roger, do you think they're going to turn their back on, on Donald Trump and, and focus resources elsewhere? They would be wise not to because Donald Trump is more popular than the Republican Party and his candidacy – Uh, is larger than the Republican Party. I understand where the RNC has come from. They have been part of 30 years of bad decisions. This is the party of Bush, the party that gave us endless war, erosion of our civil liberties, massive spending and debt, bailouts for the crooks and swindlers on Wall Street while average people can't find work. The policies of the Republican and Democratic Party, the policies of the Clintons and the Bushes, have essentially been identical. The neocon foreign policy, which has cost us billions, but uh, in which we have systematically undermined our allies and put our enemies in power across the Middle East, um, uh, is is part and parcel of the rejection of the two parties and the career politicians and the elevation of a candidate like Trump that we have seen uh, in this election. And and also in that same conversation I had with the party, they told me that they'd actually spoken to Steve Bannon yesterday, uh, Steve's first day on the job, and that Steve said that they would be working together on the road to November. Um, Obviously, what you're saying is is that you think the party won't work with the campaign. Well, I'm Uh, hopeful that they will work on the campaign, but I recognize that Trump's nomination was the hostile takeover of the Republican Party. And it was a repudiation of 30 years of bad decision-making. This was the party of Bush, 
as you remember, Jeb was the odds-on favorite here. He was the front-runner. He was a sure thing. The reason Mitt Romney didn't run in 2016 was because he concluded that he could not beat Jeb Bush. How did that work out? So, so we're, we're just about out of time. We, all, we want to let you let you go. But I, I'm hearing from you. Talk to the to the to the party right now, and they say that they can't cut Trump loose because um, that the, the fate of their candidates is tied to Trump. So that they, they need Trump to, to to do well for their candidates not to get not to get blown out. So my first quick prediction I want to get from you is, or, or, or your your kind of lay of the land. What do you think is the percentage chance that the Republicans lose the Senate? And the percentage chance they lose the House. Too early to say. Anybody who tries to make a prediction on an election that is 80 days away, 90 days away, I, I haven't done the exact count. It's just too early to say. I think in the end, the party will, some of those very congressmen who are fleeing Trump will be trying desperately to get on the platform with him in October. Um, I, I think you've got a number of events here that can still change this race. One of them would be the dropping of emails by WikiLeaks, because I'm highly confident that Julian Assange has all the emails that Huma Abedin and Cheryl Mills thought they deleted. That could have an effect. The debates can have an effect. And then lastly, uh, God forbid, another terrorist attack here or abroad, another police shooting in this country. Those things, uh, God forbid, could affect the race. But but you did you did tell me that the presidential race is a jump ball. You said 40 to 50 percent. Do you think that the Republicans losing the House is a similar percentage or less likely, more likely? Uh, I'm You know, I'm not going to hazard a guess because, in all honesty, I haven't spent that much time okay. studying uh, the individual go. races. Um, uh, and then and then my final thing, I know you're a big fan of the libertarian ticket. Uh, do you think that they will hit the 15 percent threshold uh, they need to hit to, in, to get into the presidential debates? Well, first of all, the Presidential Commission on Debates is not appointed by the president, is not a commission, nor is it about debate. <laughs> it's about limiting debate. The criteria should be any candidate who gets on the ballot in a sufficient number of states to get to 270 electoral votes should be in this debate. That's fairness, not some phony poll number, which they'll change. So they set a a uh, a uh, a mark. I think it was 10 percent. And when Ross Perot hit the 10 percent, they changed it to 15. If Gary Johnson and Governor Weld, both friends of mine, happen to hit 15, don't worry. The commission will move it to, mm. to 20. This is a joke. It should not be based on polling. What I'm saying is that both Jill Stein of the Green Party and Gary Johnson of the Libertarian Party should be in this debate on the basis of the fact that they could, based on ballot position, which, as you know, is very difficult and expensive to achieve, they could be elected president, at least theoretically. Let me ask you a, a related question. You know, Trump has raised concerns about the timing of these debates. He's also in a kind of pre-positioning raised questions about moderators. What do you think there's a chance that he does not participate in these debates? Well, uh, I think the debates are in his interest. Uh, the candidate who is behind uh, always benefits greater from the debate. If there's anyone who wants to limit the debate, I would think that would be uh, Hillary Clinton. So I think the answer is no. On the other hand, if I were Trump and I were calling this decision and I am not, I would be insisting on the Green and Libertarian Party candidates. Uh, because I think uh, they uh, can both affect the race, and I think elementary fairness dictates that they should be included. 
All if, right. If you were to guess, do you think he would do all three? Yes, I would think he would. Roger Stone, thank you very much for coming in to see us uh, at ABC Studios in New York, and uh, we'll be talking to you again. I appreciate it. Delighted to be here. All right, we've got to take a quick break. We'll be back with more powerhouse politics and a conversation with a conservative activist very far on the right who says he's voting for Hillary Clinton. There's a new answer for people in need of serious pain relief. Lidocare has created a -a one-of-a-kind pain relief patch that blocks pain for up to eight hours. With the only non-water-based lidocaine patch on the market, Lidocare uses patent-pending technology to desensitize aggravated nerves for an odor-free, ultra-flexible, dry, and light solution to pain. The Lidocare Pain Patch from the makers of Blue Emu. For long-lasting relief, you can wear. Available at CBS. Hey, it's Shoshana here. If you like our podcast and want to check out some others from ABC News, check out abcnewspodcast.com. We've got a whole bunch of shows for you to listen to. So take a look and subscribe to the ones you like. All right, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. On the line now, we have Kurt Bardello, uh, former executive with Breitbart.com. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on, John. Absolutely. A uh, long time no talk. Uh, I, I saw your, your name emerge here as a kind of a character witness uh, in, the, in the question of Steve Bannon, the new chairman of the Trump campaign. Uh, I guess he hired you, right? So about a little more than two years ago, uh, when I started my own PR firm after working on Capitol Hill for the better part of seven years, uh, Steve came to me looking at uh, trying to expand the, the the visibility of Breitbart in the political press in D.C. and uh, the, uh, asked if uh, we, he'd be willing to work together, and, and be, uh, they became one of my clients. They became one of your clients, and 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 for those of you who don't don't know Kurt, Kurt was a longtime figure on Capitol Hill, worked uh, very closely uh, with Daryl Issa on the Oversight Committee. Uh, somebody uh, I'm sure many listeners of Powerhouse Politics have known for some time. You you are no you're no uh, bleeding heart liberal, am I right? You know, it's interesting. I think over time, uh, I, uh, my own personal politics have, have very much evolved. I think I'm very much uh, you know, a social, uh, a social liberal, and, and a fiscal conservative. Uh, and certainly, in my entire career, I've worked with uh, with Republicans, many of whom are very conservative, like Daryl Issa, uh, as you noted. Okay, so so I, I want to get to your. You've you've said that you're going to be voting for Hillary Clinton. I want to get to that in a moment, but first. You've said some very uh, tough things about Bannon. Again, the new guy at the very top of the Trump campaign. What is your take on him as somebody who has, was hired by him and worked with him? I think that it's incredibly uh, concerning and dangerous, actually, to have someone have this kind of influence with the person who's running for president of the United States uh, that would be uh, a you know, top advisor if he were to, to win the election, to have someone of, of his temperament um you know this is someone who is prone to constant you know daily uh tirades and diatribes uh you know someone who doesn't really have a filter and in that way there's an alignment very much with how trump conducts himself actually um but you know this is someone who uh you know i think has a, a very low moral compass and the idea that this is this is the type of person that that Donald Trump as Republican nominee and as would-be president would have the closest to him uh, is very disturbing. 
you know, traditionally, when PR people have uh, kind of severed relationships with their former clients, they don't always talk about them publicly. But you're you're coming out, you're taking a stand now. Uh, why are you speaking out? Some pretty harsh words there for Steve Bannon and his moral comp- compass, or as you say, lack thereof. Well, you know, when when, when uh, the situation happened where I parted ways with I parted ways during the uh, Michelle Fields Corey Lewandowski incident. And which was a very obviously publicly reported situation, and, and really, you know, my discomfort, uh, you know, was in the fact that they did not back their own reporter uh, in a situation where she, uh, you know, had a physical altercation with the campaign manager, um, and, and you know, and it really, uh, I think, was indicative of, of that moral compass of, of not standing by one of your own. Uh, you know, his first reaction when this whole thing happened was, you know, he he wanted to fire her. Um, yeah, the, the, that's not the type of mentality uh, that, that, that I certainly want. Uh, you know, advising anybody running for president, or certainly anyone that could be in the White House. And uh, you know, and, and at the time I spoke out about why uh, I parted ways with Breitbart during that situation. And I think now that he's in, you know, this this huge position of influence, uh, and there are very few people, frankly, who who have uh, been able to get out of Breitbart and and, and not have the legal uh, uh, restriction of being able to talk about it. Um, you know, I'm one of the few people who's free of that, and, and I think it's important that people understand. Uh, you know, everyone in Washington you know, who works in D.C. understands that uh, the staff plays a very, very big role in the decisions that are made and guiding the careers uh, and outcomes of, of, of our elected officials. And uh, I think the American people need to understand who exactly is advising Donald Trump. And going forward. With your experience knowing Steve Bannon, what do you think the next eighty some days will look like on this campaign? Uh, it's going to look exactly what it's looked like to this point: chaos, undisciplined, um, you know, a lot of just uh, attacks, negativity. Uh, you know, there is no vision for moving this country forward. Uh, it, it's just a portrait of, of negativity and ugliness, and, and pitting people against one another, and using coded language, uh, you know, to try to send certain hints uh, to very core constituencies. Uh, you know, it, it's exactly what this campaign has been from day one for Donald Trump. And whether it's attacking the family of someone who's, who's lost, uh, you know, one of their own children uh, defending this country uh, to comments about the media, uh, you know, that's that's just going to be more of the same. All right. I hear your plane about to load, but let me just ask you and then, and right before we get you on, on why you're supporting uh, Hillary Clinton. I think we got a sense right there. Uh, in, in the, the Steve Bannon you saw in private in the course of business meetings at Breitbart, you've also suggested that he was uh, basically a racist. Yeah, I mean, if, if for anyone, you know, Breitbart has a daily editorial call, uh, you know, in the morning and one in the afternoon. And I think if anyone who sat there and listened to that call, you'd think that you were you were attending a, a you know a, a white supremacist rally. Uh, you know that that that, wow. that nationalism and that this this hatred for. Uh, you know, you know, immigrants, people coming into this country to try to get a better life for themselves. Um, you know, a, a big reason, and you talked about this a second ago, of, of why I decided that uh, Hillary Clinton's a candidate that I'm voting for, the first Democrat you know, I've ever voted for in my life, um, you know, because this is a time where uh, what's going on is much bigger than partisanship, it's much bigger than Republican and Democrat or, or single issues that traditionally uh, these campaigns are about. Uh, this is about what this country is going to look like four years from now. And uh, four years from now under the Trump administration, your guess is as good as mine is what it could look like, but it could be very, very bad um, but, 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 and, and potentially catastrophic. But that's a big that's a big accusation. Uh, they said it was like a white supremacist uh, uh, organization. What what can you give any specifics comments that you heard 
uh, that, that would lead you to uh, to say that? You know, every day uh, when you hear you know different language and 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 you know this is twice a day every day for two years, it, it all begins to just sound the same. And uh, you know, it's not like there was one specific incident or one comment that was made. I think if you followed anybody around all day long, everybody would probably have something <laughs> said that they wish they hadn't said or would sound bad uh, if, if you pulled it out and examined it. Uh, but this is much more of a, a, a pattern of behavior than a one-off comment during one specific situation uh, that this glaringly stands out. Uh, you know, this was just an ongoing conduct uh, in vocabulary, uh, whether it's about you know, women, whether it's about minorities, whether it's about uh, different constituencies. Uh, it was just a regular standard operating procedure. All right, Kurt Bardello, uh, thank you for joining us from the airport. Which airport are you at? I'm at BNA in Nashville, Tennessee, Music City. All right, uh, safe travels. Thanks for joining us, Kurt. Thank you. All right, Shush, that's uh, that's a pretty uh, wow. That's, that's about as harsh as you can as you can get. Um, it's interesting that that he spent uh, two years working for Breitbart and was on those calls uh, uh, regularly and uh, stayed that long. But uh, but that's um. That's quite a take. It, it is. And I have to say, because the two of us were talking about this just before this interview, and I was saying about how I knew Bannon in really a past life, it does seem like if if what Kurt is telling us is, is true, is that, that uh, Steve changed a lot uh, from when I know him, uh, or or he's kind of remade himself into a different person, which is possible. And again, and I imagine we'll hopefully we'll have a chance to talk to Steve at some point soon. Maybe he would he would uh, uh, emphatically Defend deny himself. that. Yes, which I, I would imagine would be the case. Yes, hopefully he'll join us. All right. Well, uh, Shush, thank you. Like I said, a real breath of fresh air. It's great thank to, you, to get John. rid of Rick Klein for uh, for at least uh, for at least a week of this podcast. I mean that guy. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we'll have you back on here again soon. Uh, supposedly Rick is. Is coming back from. Uh, He'll from, definitely be back. He his, can't uh, miss the rest of this campaign. Yeah, where's he? Is he in Vegas again, gambling or whatever? No, which of his, he's uh, at the beach. I think with oh, his family. Oh, really? Are you sure? Okay. That'll do it for this week's edition of Powerhouse Politics. As always, you can find our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and tune in or wherever you get your podcasts, including where you can see us and other ABC podcasts, abcnewspodcast.com, and you can tweet at us at hashtag Powerhouse Politics. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. For Shoshana Walsh, I'm ABC's Jonathan Carl. See you next week.